We read this morning some selected passages out of the 22nd chapter of Luke. These are from uh, verse 31 to 62. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Another section. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them there, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You're also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We look at Peter's experience and see sometimes the very same thing reflected in our own. And in those times, Lord, we too weep. We'd like to be better, but it's just hard to do. In fact, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit's empowerment. And as we look at this passage today, as Grant leads, Help us to apply it in those times in our own lives where we had an opportunity to speak and we didn't. And in those times when we don't even want to be recognized as part of his body. Lead us, Lord, to be more bold, to be more committed, to be more involved in sharing the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, my dear friend, Fenton. You know, I'm not going to lie. Um, this sermon might not be for everybody. Um, if you, uh, it's, it's only for people who have experienced failure. 
So um, if you, in your struggle against sin, have had only victories, you have never committed to, to, to act differently, to, this will be the time that sin is finally going to be conquered and then only to find yourself falling away again. If in your maturity in Christ, it has been a never-ending, up-and-to-the-right kind of growth that you have just continued to grow in Christ without any doubts or forbles or failures, then I'm sorry that this sermon probably isn't for you. But you could just spend the time judging the rest of us. It's probably what you want to do anyway. So, um, But for those of you who have experienced failure, In our battle with sin, in our battle with Christian maturity, if you know what it's like to feel like you have let Jesus down, it wasn't a problem of knowledge. You had all the tools necessary. It wasn't a problem really of, of preparation. And yet when the time came, you failed. You know, well, then this is probably for you. And it's definitely for me. And at the end, here in a half hour or so, I'm going to say there's, I actually wrote down, there's two ways to handle failure when we let Jesus down. When we fail in our faith, there's a couple ways to handle it. But then this morning as I was reflecting and praying, I was like, oh, there's probably three. And I'll tell you what those are later. But I wonder if even at the beginning, like when I talk about failing Christ, when I talk about failing in your faith. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was some outrageous sin. Maybe it was that life didn't work out. Maybe it was that you just thought you were smarter than you are and you bit off more than you could chew. Whatever it was, it, when, is there something in you that um, like you, right now there's like a little warmth under your collar and you go, man, I hope nobody else knows. We're not very good at dealing with failure. You know, we, we talk about our sin we put our sin on the cross. We talk about the ways in which Jesus dealt with our sin. And usually we equate sin to willful, premeditated, continual bad behavior. But what about the times we just failed? Maybe it was even out of character. Maybe you even, have you ever had a day where you go, that wasn't even like me? I don't even feel like that was the real me. I don't even know where that came from. I'm not a jerk, or maybe I am a jerk and just pretending not to be all the time. And today was the day that I was the real me. Failure is a lot to carry. There's failures in business, and there's failures in relationships, and there's failures in, in just the kind of person you want to be, and it's a lot to carry. So let's look and see how Peter got there, but let's also think about our failures and what we might do with this heavy load that we carry that is not only big and nasty sin, but is just the failures in life that we've either justified or tried to sweep under the rug or something, but it's just a huge burden that we're carrying. You know, I think it's important too. I almost feel like when we talk about Peter's failure, I feel like, gosh, 
Well, I, I almost feel like it, it's like I remember when we preached through the life of David and it was like, holy smoke, every generation of Christians forever have talked about David's great sin. At some point, you wonder if David's in heaven going, all right, all right, like, like we're like at 3,000 years. I'm not the only one who ever did it, you know? Um, and so part of me goes, well, maybe we should just cut Peter some slack, but this is really, this is... I, this is maybe more anecdotal, but, but I feel like this is in very important. We know about Peter's failure because Peter told us. The first gospel writer to write is Mark. And Matthew and Luke, they reflect the Peter that you kind of know from Scripture. Right, we know Peter's kind of like this he, ready, fire, aim kind of guy, and he gets out ahead of himself a lot, and Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan, and, and he, he fails Jesus at this campfire, and we kind of know Peter to be blustery and whatever. Peter's less like that in John. Peter is only walking on the water in John. Like, like there's the reason we know about this blustery Peter who kind of has wrestles with failure in his walk is because it starts with the storytelling in Mark. Well, Mark almost definitely was the first to write and almost definitely was a disciple of Peter's. So as we are reading the gospel of Mark and then the, those stories that, gets that, gets that get transferred to Luke and Matthew, that's why we call those the synoptic gospels. They have similarities. The reason we know the details of Peter's failure is because Peter wanted Mark to write this down. Because when the first stories were being collected, as Mark is probably in Rome writing these things down, Peter wants us to know about his struggles with failure. That matters to me. Because there are a couple different ways you can handle um, failure in, in our faith. And I think that sometimes... You know, we handle it by just ignoring it, but you can tell that Peter found freedom because he was excited to tell the whole story. He wants us to know the story of his failure. He wants us to know that Jesus could still use him. So maybe even as we start, before we exegete the passage, if there is failure in your life, can I just plant this seed in you? And you can go, no, that's not right. And then, you know, go have lunch afterwards and feel much better about yourself. Let me just plant this seed in you now. Failure is not fatal. In fact, God still might want to use you. This might be a day where you, hopefully, how I've been praying for you, is that you come to terms with the ways that you failed. That we don't explain it away and go, no, I didn't. No, that was somebody else's fault. But also that we can come to a place where we go, yeah, I'm a saved failure to the glory of God. And even in my mistakes, God might use me yet. He certainly did, Peter. You know, as we think about Peter's like story, we know Peter's story very well. If, you, if, I could, if I said, you have to give me the most facts about any of the disciples, none of you would pick like Simon the Zealot. You know what I mean? Not, none of you'd go like, I'll take Didymus. No, you wouldn't. You would say either John or Peter. These are the ones that we know the most about. We know a lot about Peter. 
We've seen his story. And in seeing his story, it, it's pretty shocking that Peter fails in the way he does because he had been well prepared for success. Peter should have been ready to suffer. And, um, you know, I, I uh, would love to tell these whole stories, but let me, just, let me just refer to them for the sake of time. In Luke 5, we have the initial call um, to Peter. So, uh, and Peter had almost certainly uh, had Jesus even in his home before that. But, um, but the initial call uh, to be a disciple, Peter's out on the boat. He's not catching any fish. Jesus says, other side. No way. I know what I'm doing. Just throw him on the other side. Throws him on the other side. Bunch of fish. Oh my gosh. Jumps off, goes, I'm going to follow you. And then Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself, leave everything and follow me. From the very moment that he was called to be a disciple, Jesus had been preparing him to leave everything. He had left a successful fishing business. He had left, I'm sure he was still in contact with his family, but he had turned from a, uh, a, a successful family man, fisherman, to following a rabbi as a disciple. He had been sacrificing already. Luke 9 is an incredible um, chapter that helps us understand Peter's story. Luke 9 is where Peter has both his greatest high and maybe his lowest low as, um, as there's been the feeding of the 5,000 and then they're reflecting on it. And Jesus goes, hey, who do people say that I am? And the disciples go, and, you know, Peter in particular says, some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're an Old Testament prophet. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And for the first time, the first guy who ever said it, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And Jesus goes, great, don't tell anybody. And then right away, Peter is like human. And he says, don't tell anybody. Come on, don't say. In fact, Jesus says, well, I'm going to have to suffer and die. And Peter goes, whoa, whoa, Jesus, let me speak truth to power here. You can't suffer and die. And, say, and, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Satan means adversary. This is Peter. These high highs, he knows exactly who Jesus is. But even in the very first time he recognized, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the one who's, who the Old Testament prophets were talking about, even there, Jesus is preparing him, you're right, and I'm going to have to suffer and die. Jesus, Peter should not have been surprised at all sitting around that campfire that night. Jesus had prepared him for this. Luke 9, 44 Jesus lays it out about as easily as you can understand it. He says, the son of man must be delivered to the hands of men. So I think what Peter, as we are reading the story, we get to this story around the campfire in the temple courts and we go, Peter, this is exactly, Peter should actually be going, no way. This is exactly how Jesus said it was going to go down. Jesus had been preparing him to not fail, had been preparing him even to suffer. If you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, this is what it going to look like. I'm going to be a man of suffering. If you're coming with me, so are you. Luke 18 then, he took the 12 and he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. All right, follow the beats. We're going up to Jerusalem. This is Jesus talking. And everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he, speaking of himself, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked 
and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So Peter was completely prepared to be sitting there watching the, these you know, kangaroo court trials of Jesus going, hey, wait three days, sucker. This is all happening exactly like Jesus said. I have no doubt that what he said next is going to happen too. Yeah, I'm with him. And I'm going to be with him forever. I'm going to be with him when you guys are long gone. Sometimes you can be completely prepared and still fail. Sometimes there's, it's, nobody's, it's nobody's fault but your own. Just turned out you were human. God did all he could. He, he, he prepared you. You went to Sunday school. You knew it wasn't a matter of like, I didn't know that this was a sin. No, you totally did. And still you failed. Not only had Jesus prepared Peter so that Peter might be willing to suffer, but Jesus had prepared Peter to know Jesus' power and glory. Peter was front row for every amazing thing that Jesus did, starting all the way back in Luke 4. Remember the call of Peter? This is Luke 5. In Luke 4, Peter's mother-in-law gets healed by Jesus in Peter's own home. Saw it happen. In Luke 9, just before the Caesarea Philippi, who do you say I am stuff, there was the feeding of the 5,000. Peter is left holding a basket of miraculous bread. It's in his hand. He's standing there going, this is incredible. He, he, he doesn't just, like it didn't just come to him that Jesus is the Messiah. He had evidence. Like after he had been holding this basket of bread of leftovers after 5,000 people, maybe more like 5,000 families got miraculously fed. And he's like, not only that, we had leftovers after the potluck. He knows. Peter had walked on water. Peter had seen Jesus cast out demons. Peter was one of the 72 who had been sent out with the power to cast out demons in Jesus' name. Not only was Peter prepared to suffer, Peter was prepared for glory. Peter not only was told, hey, there's going to be power and glory here someday. He had seen it. Peter was at the transfiguration of Christ. Peter had seen Jesus in his glory. Peter knew exactly who Jesus was and should have been the person most expecting the resurrection. And Peter, you cannot have resurrection without crucifixion. You cannot have the glory Jesus had talked about and shown you without the suffering that Jesus had shown you. As Peter sat in that courtyard, there is no reason for him to fail like he does. And I think that you and I need to reflect on if Peter was in this room, he would not be alone. He would be among a group of people that we all know what Peter felt that day. We all know what it's like to go, I had every reason to not fail. I can look back and show you how God had trained me. 
I can look back and show you how God had provided me a way out and I didn't take it. Still, there was failure. Well, let's just look at the story then of Peter's, what's that children's book? Somebody's no good, terrible, very bad day or whatever. This is, Peter has just an atrocious night. This all happens in one night. And I want, I want you to think about that. You ever, you ever stayed up all night? Did anything good ever happen <laughs> after about 9.30 at night? No, it didn't. You started making bad decisions right away. Verse 22, Fenton read these to you. Verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 39 through 46. We have the story of Jesus uh, in the... Um, in the Mount of Olives and uh, praying in the, in the garden. And I would say that there are three failures this night for Peter. The first is, is uh, neglecting to watch. There's a kind of prayer that Jesus is calling his disciples to here that, that we call watching. And Peter is encouraged to do it and just doesn't. Instead, he just goes to sleep. He came to the Mount uh, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, to the, uh, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Not pray for me, not pray um, for, you know, the guards whose ear you're going to cut off, not pray for Judas who's sinning right now. No, in this moment. Peter, what you need is to pray that you will not fall into temptation. Peter, would you pray against temptation? Jesus knows the emotional and physical burden and difficulty of this night. And so he says, I'm going to go over here and pray. You guys stay up and pray that temptation is not a problem for you. And then, and then later, starting in verse 45, there's, um, we'll, we'll, we'll look at Jesus' night next week. Um, verse 45, and when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus, again, had prepared Peter. Peter, you're going to have such a difficult night. This is going to be so hard. I need you to be fervent in prayer, in watching, in, in just keep your eyes peeled, man. Check your six. Like, like, like things are going to happen tonight. You need to be prayerfully battling in spiritual warfare that you might not fall into temptation. And Peter goes, but I'm sleepy. And I don't think that's nothing. Um, the best part about being a youth pastor is all-nighters. The worst part about being a youth pastor is all-nighters. <laughs> Tiffany and I have run roughly 7,000 all-nighters in our life. And we refer to the feeling that only happens after an all-nighter, where at two in the morning, that mega dodgeball game was so fun, and pizza at 3.30 a.m. felt like a great idea, and then pancakes at eight were great, and then that one parent that didn't pick their kid up till 10 o'clock, I kid you not, that parent, and then, and then you finally get home on Saturday, and you, there's an empty, exhausted, like you were exhausted four hours ago. Do you know this feeling? You ever been to Las Vegas? <laughs> it's just a what does time matter like 
this is where Peter probably is. And not only that, but he's fallen asleep for sorrow. Sorrow, grief, confusion. These things are exhausting. They were exhausting for Peter, and I bet they're exhausting for you too. Have you ever been to a memorial service and just laughed and cried and seen old friends and the whole thing, and you left there and just went, I cannot do anything the rest of the day. I am exhausted. Have you ever left a hospital room where you, had, you just did all you could to be the upbeat one in the room, and then you leave and you just go, I am so exhausted. Grief, confusion, sorrow, these are exhausting things. And when we are in those vulnerable, exhausted places, physical tiredness is set in for Peter and also emotional tiredness is set in. And so Jesus knows that in that moment, he is exceptionally vulnerable to temptation. And can I tell you, in those moments where you are grieving and tired and emotionally spent, we are especially open to temptation. Maybe some of the failures in your life haven't come when you were running on full steam. It was the times when nothing made sense. You know, I look at how much anger there was. I shouldn't, I shouldn't talk about this at all. I look at how much anger there was. Uh, what was it? What year is it? Like three years ago when COVID was just raging and everybody was like, if you wear a mask, if you don't wear a mask, if you take the vaccine, if you don't take... And everybody's just like angry at everybody else. And you, you just like, open up, I'll see what's going on the internet. And you're like, no. No, we're not doing that anymore. That was horrible. But the world just felt like it was falling apart. We, we were all just so tired. And our best didn't come out. <laughs> In those moments when we're confused and, the, and, the, and the, the world feels like it's on quicksand all of a sudden, we're especially vulnerable and so Jesus looked at Peter, and maybe he, he could look at us too and go, in those moments, pray that you might not fall into temptation. It's going to be the most natural thing when you're grieving, when you're tired, when, when the world is falling apart on you a little bit. It's going to be the most natural thing to go, to pray, God, fix it. God, would you stop that? Would you start this? Would you stop them? Would you make, change their heart? Would you do all that? But a prayer that probably doesn't come up enough in those times when we are vulnerable is, God, would you keep me from temptation? God, would you keep me safe? I feel weak. I feel vulnerable. I need help right now. Peter went to sleep instead, and he paid for it. Maybe we could find some application that you and I would grow the ability or the habit to pray to resist temptation, especially in difficult times, especially in times of grief, especially in times of confusion. When we think about prayer, maybe God, you're great is a natural thing. Maybe God, these are my needs is a natural thing. Maybe even God, these are the things I'm thankful for is a natural thing. But maybe we need to grow the ability and the habit of saying, God, would you keep me from evil? God, would you keep me from temptation? When I'm hurting, when I'm tired, I'm vulnerable. If you're in a fight with your spouse, pray that you would not enter into temptation. If you're bored at work, pray that you would not enter into temptation. If you are grieving, if the bank account is low, if you just 
got an email from one of the kids' teachers. If there's things that are causing the armor to chink a little bit, pray that you would not enter into temptation. Peter neglects that. That's his first failure of the night. His second failure of the night comes a little bit later. Verses 47 picks up, and while he was still speaking there, came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he drew near Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. We know elsewhere that this is Peter that does this. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. So there's a question that goes out. And, and Jesus had actually just said, hey, remember when I told you don't bring swords? Now bring swords. And so the disciples go, well, is now the time, Jesus? Do you want us to pull out our swords? And then we don't have the next line of dialogue. We don't get a response from anybody because Peter's like, I'm not waiting. Peter's second failure is anger and violence instead of trust. Peter's second failure is, I mean, could we say it this way? Peter's second failure is defending Jesus. How could that be wrong? Aren't we supposed to defend Jesus or at least our beliefs? No, what the Scripture says is that we're supposed to be able to give a defense for the hope that we have in Christ with love and gentleness. And looking at the Roman guards and going, even in this moment, I have hope. Jesus is the Messiah. Whatever happens today, resurrection's coming, and I don't even understand what that means, but I trust him. And so what do you got for us? You want me to suffer too? That would be defending the hope that they have in them. And that is very different than drawing the sword of social media and striking a blow somewhere. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Peter thinks he's with Jesus, but Peter is off mission. That's scary that we have the capacity, probably because we haven't prayed, God, keep me from temptation enough, that we haven't been mindful and watchful in, in our lives, that we're not looking for ways that we might end up falling, that we have the capacity to believe wholeheartedly we are with Jesus and still be totally against what he wants us to do. Jesus doesn't need to be defended. Jesus desires to be followed. Peter has not prayed that he would avoid temptation, and now temptation has come out of nowhere and bit him. If you and I aren't praying for strength to be like Jesus, then in times of unexpected difficulty, we will act like us. And acting like Grant is a big problem. I've started umpiring baseball games. It's just great. I love being on a baseball field. And, you know, I mean, I'm watching the pitcher, and I'm like, if I threw a ball that hard twice, I'd have to ice my arm for six weeks. You know, I would die. I can't, I can't do that. Stand here and go out. That's what I'm physically fit enough to do at this point in my life. But it's fun to be out there. But I get that feeling of like failure and like the red stuff coming behind your neck and go, oh my gosh, I, that little bit of guilt. I feel it almost every time. So maybe I'll confess right now. Um, 
my oldest was probably like eight years old and there was an umpire just doing a terrible job. And um, so I was the coach and I was riding the umpire a little bit as is the coaches, that's what they do. And, um, and the coach like, ha- or the, the umpire had to get out from behind the plate and point at me and go, coach, that's enough. One more word and I'm kicking you out. And I remember standing there in the coach's box going, I'm about to get kicked out of an eight-year-old girl's softball game. Like, what is going on in my life? That the, is this me? Is this, is this how you be salt and light on a baseball field? But that's what Grant does. When I'm not watchful, when I'm not submitted, when I'm not praying, God, would you keep me from temptation? Then just Grant comes out. That's a problem. At that point, I'm not praying, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And at that point, I'm saying, oh, I live for me and Jesus can, I'll meet him on Sundays. Luke, I'm sorry, Luke uh, says Peter's second failure is just this righteous anger. You know, Peter knows he's right. Anger and violence instead of just trust. I mean, I bet, Peter, I bet the way Peter told the story the rest of his life, if he could go back, where would Peter want to be that night? I bet he'd want to be suffering alongside Jesus. I bet he'd want to get arrested too. Wouldn't you? Peter's third failure is, is obvious and why we're all here today. 54 to 62 tells the story of the courtyard. Peter three times has the opportunity to go, yeah, I'm with Jesus, and he never does. Peter has denied Jesus, and it has resulted in distance between him and Jesus. And this is something we might think about, that that's what happens when we live in a way that's denying Jesus. And we'll have to get a little, our our application of this, we'll have to get a little broad, we'll have to meditate on this a bit. But look, when you live a life that that is denying the lordship of Jesus in your life, it will cause distance between you and Jesus. In a physical way that's what happened with Peter that night is that Peter wanted to be really close to Jesus he wants to be in the courtyard he wants to have eyes on Jesus he loves Jesus do any of us think that Peter started that night thinking that he was going to run away from Jesus no I believe Peter when he looked at Jesus and said I'll die with you right now I think in that moment he believed it but it's been an exhausting grief-filled night He's just seen one of his best friends like betray Jesus and everybody scattered and what happened to the band, man? And, and, and he's sitting there all by himself, but he wants to be close to Jesus. But he, but he also doesn't want to claim Jesus. He wants to be in proximity of Jesus, but he doesn't want to have the responsibility of being with Jesus. And truthfully, I, mean, I might be like that too sometimes. I would like a private, personal friendship with Jesus, but without all of the self-denial and public suffering and, and public confession part of it. But it always works this way, that there's no private life with Jesus. You don't get the upper room without the courtyard. Are you with me? There is no private, sweet relationship with Jesus in your heart without it being lived out in ways that are going to cost you something. And it takes some thinking to apply this to our lives. I've, I've never been in a situation like this. In fact, probably because of Peter, I am ready for this situation. Armed guards, are you with Jesus? I've been practicing that since Sunday school. 
That I could probably do. Yes, I'm with Jesus. I don't think being a martyr would be the problem. Rather, it's the everyday grind of living for him that's more difficult. And we might not deny Jesus verbally like Peter did that night, but we deny the lordship of Jesus in our lives all the time, or at least that's the temptation if we're not careful. Some days it looks like presuming upon the grace of God, thinking my sin is no big deal. After all, Jesus forgives me. We're denying the lordship of Jesus. We're denying we're with him, that he's our king. Some days it looks like silence. (coughs) I've convinced myself everything from I'm too shy by nature, faith is a private thing, something, but God has opened a door for me to be salt and light, and instead I just watch that opportunity go by. We're denying the lordship of Jesus. Some days it looks like anger. I'm willing to give grace to people. I'm I'm sorry, I'm unwilling to give grace to people or I take pleasure in dwelling on the ways other people are wrong. We've made like a national sport out of that. Just feeling self-righteous because there's some other kind of sinner somewhere else. I'm denying the lordship of Jesus. Sometimes it looks like apathy. I refuse to change the things in my life that I could totally change because they would be difficult to change. There's a, there's a line in the song, I Repent, Derek Webb song, I think, that says, uh, I, I, uh, I repent for changing sins for others that are easier to hide. There are lots of ways in our lives, in word and deed, where we can deny the Lordship of Jesus. It can look like self-righteous pride, just a feeling of superiority I get when I think about the way the world is broken instead of being brokenhearted over the culture like Jesus was. We too should pray that we don't fall into temptation. You know, before we apply this and before we talk about how to deal with failure, I do want to just very briefly talk about the difference between Peter and Judas, because it gives us a chance to talk about the difference between repentance and confession, which are related and similar, but not the same. And here's the, they, they both let Jesus down that night, profoundly. Both of them feel bad about it afterwards. We've got evidence of that. But here's the difference. Judas was successfully evil. Peter was unsuccessfully godly. You with me? Judas set out to betray Jesus, and he did. Peter set out to defend Jesus, and he messed up. And there is love for both of those people. The blood of Christ is enough for both of those. But Judas, in being successfully evil, is a different thing than Peter being unsuccessfully godly. And I think we should all think about in the places where we failed, which one of those are we in? Because I think sometimes we give ourselves too much too much, like I'm really good at giving myself grace. It's much more, it's much easier to give myself grace and forgiveness than it is other people. And so sometimes we go, you know, like, I, I, so I messed up. So there's a little bit of sin in my life. Well, you know, whatever. Jesus died for that too. And we have not taken seriously. No, volitionally, I am moving in the wrong direction in this part of my life. Like continually, my will is pushing me in a direction away from God. 
Brother or sister, if that's you, you need to repent. You need to change directions. You need to stop moving away from God. Stop moving towards selfishness. Turn and move towards Christ. But there's this other thing that happens too that I think that I think uh, Peter falls into here. Peter's moving in the right direction. Jesus knows Peter's heart. Jesus has not only predicted Peter's failure, he has also predicted Peter's return. Remember he said, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. But when you get your act together, when you come back, here's your job. Take care of your brothers. So he is, Jesus knows And some of us in our really sweet-hearted, guilty conscience let our failure like define us and go, oh, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner and there's nothing I can do about it. No, you're a beloved child of God who screwed up. You stumbled. You were moving in the right direction. But it turns out sometimes you're dumb. Join the club. You're in the right place. Keep coming back. Turns out, Sometimes you didn't pray that you would resist temptation and you couldn't resist temptation. You were moving in the right direction and you stumbled, you fell. Well, this is what confession is for. Doesn't Peter's friend John in 1 John give us really good rails to run on that if you confess your sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive all unrighteousness. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. Admit that you failed and keep moving in the right direction. Sometimes I think that the American church is apathetic and lazy. Sometimes I think the American church is guilty and just refuses to confess. Just refuses to go, hey, we're wrong. Hey, we're moving in the right direction. Our hearts are good, man. Our hearts are for you, Jesus. But we just, we, we messed up. Can I confess my sins and experience the newness and the freshness of fresh forgiveness, of fresh mercy? Let me ask you, in your relationship with people, when there has been sin between you and then there's been a time of coming together and making up and, 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 and forgiving each other, has it been stronger or weaker after that? It's stronger. Judas needs to repent. And by all... By whatever I can see, I don't see his repentance. I think it's too much he never does. Peter needs to confess. Peter, his heart's with Jesus. Just that courtyard was a brutal place to be, and he wasn't up for it. He failed. But what Peter needs to know is what I told you at the beginning, that failure is not fatal but it does have to be dealt with. And let me, let me highlight both of those things. Failure is not fatal. So if you failed, if there's sin in your life, if you've made mistakes that you feel bad about, that's a good thing. You want to know if you're saved? Well, when you make mistakes that offend God, do you feel bad about it? That's a really good sign. So if there's your heart's with the Lord, but you've made mistakes and you feel bad about it, uh, we can make two opposite mistakes at that point. One, we can go, well, this is... Fatal. God will never use me now. I might as well just pack it up and pack it in. The other mistake you can make is to go, well, by the blood of Christ, that that action didn't matter. It did matter. You failed and you got to make it right. Now, I'm not saying that grace isn't there, mercy's not there, forgiveness isn't there. But there is a way that we get right with God where we confess and experience His forgiveness that's important. So 
Peter needs to know that failure is not fatal, but it does need to be dealt with. So here are some options when we fail. First of all, I didn't put a slide for this because I'm just thinking about it now. I think we could just keep going. I think we could just stand up after we fall and get up and go, oh, soldier on. Just forget about it. Just go. It's in the past. Let's just do better, which is an absolute workspace idea of how to deal with your sin. Just stop, man. Just muscle up. Woman up. Let's go. Or you can do what Peter does and just go fish. <laughs> Peter was a fisherman. He always was. I've even thought about, I'm sure they fished even in the three years when they're disciples. I mean, it's a, as they're around the Sea of Galilee, I'm sure that time that Peter left his business to follow Jesus wasn't the last time he had had a line in the water or a net in the water, I'm sure. I mean, they ate, right? Like, I'm sure they had gone fishing together. And so Peter still identifies as a fisherman, but he no longer identifies as a disciple. And sometimes our failure can make us feel like that's all we've got. Yeah, I'm still saved. I, I'm, st I'm still going to heaven. But because of my failure, God can't use me anymore. Because of, because of my mistakes, I, there's not a place for me in the, in the church. I'll fill a pew. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll listen to worship music or whatever. But as far as like, taking on any kind of service, being a part of what God is doing to rescue Seaside. I, I, that's, I can't do that anymore because my failure is what defines me. I no longer identify as, as, as a disciple. I identify with my failure. So I'm just going to go back to fishing. Might as well quit. You know that God will forgive you. You're still saved. But as far as usefulness, you might as well just forget it. Or there's this other thing. And John, again, Peter doesn't tell us this story, which I think is just fascinating. But his friend John wants to tell the end of Peter's story. And not the end. I mean, Peter's you know, preaches the great sermon on Pentecost and is one of the, you know, if you had to pick the like two or three greatest leaders in the early church, it's Peter. He goes, he, he's, he's incredible. In fact, Paul comes to Peter to make sure his theology is good enough to keep ministering. Like Peter's a stud, the stud. But there's this time when John wants to tell us about in John chapter 21 as Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and you know this story, many of you, he, he finds Peter while he's fishing. And there's, a, there's a, a repeat miracle of when they first, you know, of one of the first times they met. There's, there's a miracle of fish, and Peter recognizes Jesus and comes to the shore, and they have breakfast together. And then verse 15 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, so Simon is old name, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I'll preach this whole passage sometime, I love it, but 
Um, but he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had, he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And I wonder if that third time, if that grief is, is not just because Jesus doesn't trust me, but if he's like, I know what this is about. I know what I did three times before. And so you know that grief that comes up, that guilt. He said a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Peter, you're going to glorify me all the way until your death. If I had to be a pastor and turn it into three points, I would say this. Jesus gives Peter a chance to confess. He can't just look at Peter. It's not healthy for him to look at Peter and go, remember the courtyard? No big whoop. No, we have to name our sin. If there's something that you feel bad about, if you're carrying around a burden, you're, you're sitting here with a hundred other people who are carrying burdens too. Pick your favorite one of us and go, can I please tell you my burden? And we will affirm what's true about you. That you're a forgiven child of God. Thank you for sharing this burden with me. Recovery from failure starts with telling the truth. While we're justifying things, while we're going, well, it's just the kind of person I am, or, you know, while we are finding some way why we're not really guilty, there's, we're not going to grow. You're going to be stuck. We need to come to the point in prayer privately, and it's really helpful. You know, Peter's friend James um, talks about the healing nature of confession. You're going to be healthier if you confess to one another. Try it. It's one of the most freeing things ever. But to just kind of tell the truth about yourself, again, Peter's friend John talks about walking in the light. This is what it means to walk in the light not hiding anything there's nothing in the shadows the mess i am it's for here for everybody to see what you see is what you get living in the light it doesn't mean perfect it means true you got to come to a point where you go i failed i failed i shouldn't have i was prepared jesus i was a christian jesus said i had all the tools to not fail but i failed and maybe you've been carrying something for years and you think at this point it'd be foolish. No, it wouldn't. Eternity's a long time. You've got time. But I can't tell you how important confession is. To tell somebody. To tell, start by telling God, but then to have a brother or sister that can affirm true things about you so they can look at you. And everybody here at Lighthouse is going to look at you and go, I get it. Okay, thank you for telling me. The blood of Christ is enough for that. And if they don't, well, then they have something to confess to somebody else.
It takes confession, but it also takes restoration. At least that's what Jesus offers Peter. It wasn't just a one-time Peter saying he's wrong. No, but, but rather he gives him a chance to, to say, yeah, I love you, Jesus, three times. He, there's a way that Peter now can feel restored in right relationship with Jesus. You, you got to not only confess, but you got to take steps towards making our wrongs right. You know, in the, in like a, in a like celebrate recovery model, they talk about amends and it's not about like, you know, us, us, um, undoing the wrongs that we've done. You're not going to undo the wrongs that you've done. If you said terrible things to somebody, you're not going to unring that bell. It's not going to be like it never happened. Your failure, Peter still denied Jesus. It, it didn't unhappen. But rather to take steps to, to express your contrition, to take steps to as far, I, I love what, what, Paul says about our relationships with other people, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So it's not just like, well, I confessed it. No, but there's been some demonstration of, 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 of real confession and even repentance. I'm, I'm, I'm moving in a different direction now. Peter isn't going to earn Jesus' love. It's not like, well, you've denied me three times. You've got to say I love you three times. No, there's no mechanical. That's not what's happening here. He's not going to undo what he did, but he, Peter's given a gift now where he's like, okay, I, I took steps in the right direction. And, and then Peter's encouraged to get back on mission. I love this. It's not like, and now Peter can be a fisherman at peace. Now, Peter's going to turn into Peter, the Peter you know. Sometimes, I said this a minute ago, but sometimes I do think the American church is lazy. Sometimes I think the American church is off mission just because we're guilty and unwilling to confess. What if this was a place where we could be true about the failures that we've had and instead of, instead of judgment and, you know, clucking tongues, we would... Um, we would just experience the mercy and forgiveness that Jesus is offering. Have you failed? Are you carrying around a burden? It's too heavy for you. You don't have to carry it. Maybe like Peter, you would say, I was without excuse. I had everything. Jesus had done everything he could to stop me from it, and I still failed. What are you doing about it? You could just go back to fishing, or you could say maybe even in the middle of your biggest failure, God's not done with you. In fact, maybe there's even meaningful work in the kingdom of God for you. Why don't you get about the business of confession and restoration, and then get back on mission and see what Jesus does with you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for giving us today. Thank you for this story where Peter seems so much like us. God, could it be that even in the middle of our failures that you would draw us to mission too? Lord, I'm, I'm, there are failures in all of our lives and, and, and things that we probably feel bad about. And Lord, I pray that in the right time and with the right people, but Lord, in your presence, in your name, that we would grow a, a, a culture where it would be 
the most natural thing to confess our sins to each other, to experience mercy and forgiveness, and to, you know, make the make seaside more like the kingdom of God. God, thank you for a sweet community like this. Lord, would you call us to confession? Lord, help us to deal with our mistakes in a way that propels us towards mission. In Jesus' name, amen.